I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9, and then we'll pray and begin the sermon. So hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house into the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired at Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. We join you in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning confessing our need for you, confessing our inability to uh, do anything apart from you, as the Lord Jesus has said, and that includes understanding this word before us this morning. So we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would be present here among us, that you would minister your grace to us, that you would open our eyes by the power of your Spirit so that we may see the glorious things which you have prepared for us, that we, Lord, may be confronted where we need to be confronted, and that we may be comforted where we need to be comforted. Lord, above all else, please let us see Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, this morning is the final Sunday of Missions Month here at Christ Community, and I'm very thankful that I've been invited back to tell you a little about, about what's going on in our church and what God is doing through Riverside Community and also to bring the word to you this morning. And after hearing about the different missions and ministries the last couple of Sundays, uh, I thought I'd take the opportunity again today to give you a summary, a reminder of what all this mission stuff is about. It is about the one mission that undergirds all the missions of the church of Jesus Christ, which is to know God and to make him known. Our English word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means to, to be sent. And believe it or not, this idea is this idea that we, as the people of God, are sent into the world that is a big part of who we are as a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying this, uh, to yourself, well, um, I don't really know about all this, Jody. You know, I don't feel very sent. You know, it took all I had just to get up and to get my family here this morning. Well, I understand what it's like to be in your shoes because I often resemble that remark myself. But you see, what I want to try to do today is to get you to see no matter who you are or where you are in your life, if you're a Christian, you are called to mission. 
are a sent one. But this Christian mission and Christian ministry is taking your resources and meeting people's needs in the name of Jesus Christ. Ministry is serving people. You see, that's what mission is. So today, we're going to look at the mission of God in the life of one of the first people in the history of the world that God called to himself a man named Abram, or as he's also known, Abraham. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage of God's call to Abram under three headings. Three headings this morning. We're going to look, first of all, at the call to mission. Second, we're going to look at the cost of mission. And then third, we're going to look at the challenge or the challenges of mission. So those are our three points this morning. And you'll notice that this passage begins with a call to mission because verses 1 through 4 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we're told then that Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, one of the things that I find absolutely fascinating about this passage is that when Abram is called to mission, he is 10 years past the modern age of retirement. Did you catch that? You see, Abram should be well into collecting his Social Security by now somewhere in some retirement facility in Florida. But he's not. God comes to him at this age and he calls him at a time of his life when we would say, Abram, you really ought to think about you know, slowing down and winding things down in your life. Yet God comes to him and says, Abram, go. He says, I want you to go. And you see, whenever God comes into a person's life, in spite of their age, in spite of their past, in spite of their circumstances, and even in spite of their sin, God says, you he says, if you belong to me, and I have a mission for you. You see, anyone who meets God as he really is, is changed on the inside and then sent out to change things outside them. If you go back, if you read the chapter before this, in chapter 11, what you find is that Abram was the son of a man named Terah, who was a, not a god worshiper, but rather was somebody who worshipped the moon. He was a lunatic, right? <laughs> you see, in spite of that, in God's grace, God sovereignly chooses Terah's son Abram to accomplish his holy purpose. Abram is called out from being a moon worshiper into a relationship with the living God to worship God and then to go out and to be a blessing on his behalf to all nations. And so that then tells us two things about God's call to mission. It tells us, one, that it is a call of grace. And it tells us, secondly, that it is a call to service. You see, this is a call of grace, first of all, because it is God who does the calling 
and the saving and the changing and then the sending, not Abraham himself. You see, Abram wasn't sitting under the moon and the stars one night when it suddenly dawned on him that that was a stupid thing to do and he needed to go worship God, the real God himself. You see, if God did not come to Abram and said, Abram, I am the Lord, Abram would have kept on worshiping the moon and he would have died in his sin. But God does for Abram what Abram didn't earn or deserve, which is what we call that is grace. You see, God comes and he calls Abram and saves him by revealing himself, the one, the only true God to him. And that changes Abram from the inside out. Because second, God's call is a call to service. You will notice that he doesn't leave Abram where he is, but Abram is sent out to be a blessing and to serve others. What God does is that he comes to Abram and he takes Abram's focus off of himself and he is sent out then to focus on other people. Why? Well, once again, it's because of grace. You see, whether you realize it or not, grace is the only thing that is powerful enough to overcome this insatiable commitment that we all have to ourselves, to our needs, to our wants, to our preferences, above everything else in our lives. By nature, every one of us, we are all relentlessly committed to self-preservation and promotion, to our desires, to our wants. You see, those are the things that drive everything we do. We are absolutely consumed with ourselves and meeting our own needs. And it's only by God revealing himself to us, knowing who he is and what he's done to rescue us in his own strength, that's the only thing powerful enough to overcome this consumer mentality that we're all subject to. And you see, the Bible shows us this in a number of places. For example, do you remember the story of Moses? Do you remember Moses and how God called Moses unto himself? Moses had fled from Egypt where he had committed murder, and God's people were left there in Egypt at the time. And Exodus 3 says that God came to him in a burning bush. And he revealed himself to him. Remember what Moses said? Moses said, who are you? You know, who's calling me to do this? What, what, what's your name? And God said to him, I am. He said, I am. And I've got a mission for you. I want you to go. And I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And of course, in the New Testament, Mark chapter 1 and verse 17 says that when Jesus Christ, the Lord himself came, when he called his first disciples, he first went to Andrew and Peter, and then he went to James and John, who were fishermen. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, whenever we see God for who he really is, in his beauty, in his majesty, in his grace, it transforms us from being focused on ourselves and our agendas to being focused on God and his agenda, which is to go out and to be a blessing and to serve others. You know, as I was writing this sermon and thinking about all this and God's grace and how it's his beauty and his kindness that is what has changes our hearts and our minds, it reminded me of a scene from a movie that I saw a number of years ago called As Good As It Gets. You may have seen that movie. That's the one that stars Jack Nicholson. Uh, he won an Oscar for that, uh, for Best Actor back in 1998. 
Now, I will give you a little caveat here that this is not a family film, so do not sit down and watch this movie with your kids tonight. After all, it has Jack Nicholson in it. But you see, it is a good story. It's a fantastic story about this man named Melvin Udall, who is an obsessive compulsive writer who is incredibly rude to everyone he meets. I mean, he is mean, he's nasty, he's totally self-absorbed, and because of that, the only person that has a relationship with him is a waitress at his favorite place that he likes to eat. And the reason they have a relationship is because she's the only one who will wait on him. He's made everybody else too mad. Well, at one point in the movie, these two, the waitress and Melvin, actually go out on a date. And while they're having this very awkward conversation because he's insulted her, surprise, surprise, she gets up ready to leave and she says, look, you've got to pay me a compliment. Okay, I need you to pay me a compliment. Give me a reason to stay. And he's like, oh, man. And so he, he starts rambling on a minute, and he goes on. But after, after a few minutes, he finally spits out what's on his heart. And here's what he says. He says, you make me want to be a better man. And this woman, you can see, Helen Hunt plays this waitress. Her face, she's in a She's shocked and she's overcome with joy because she realizes just what a compliment this is. You see, it was her beauty. And it was her kindness to him because nobody else would be that began to change him from the inside. And whenever we come to see God's beauty and his kindness to us, though we haven't earned it nor deserve it, it doesn't just make us want to be better people, it actually makes us that's how powerful it is. It changes our hearts from the inside out. You see, God's grace changes us, making us a new creation in Christ who becomes focused on serving Him and serving other people because that is what He has done for us. We become partakers in His mission. You see, the Lord pulls us into Himself, but He does so to then send us out. One pastor put it like this. He said, God never blesses you except to make you to be a blessing for someone else. So that's the call to mission that we see here first. But second, this also shows us that there is a cost to mission because you'll notice that Abram was called to go, but his going entails leaving. Not just physically leaving his homeland and his friends and everything like that, but also his religion and the desires of his father, which were a very big deal in those days. But you see, in spite of all these things, Abram goes. This says he went, verse 5 tells us, he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. In answering God's call to mission, Abram was forced to leave behind everything he knew and was comfortable. God's call came to him in incredible grace, as we've just seen, but it also came with a cost, and that idea makes you and I, as modern people, squirm, doesn't it? Doesn't it make us nervous to know that, hey, doing God's mission, following God and his call is actually going to cost me something? Yeah, it does. You see, the reason is because we're not too keen on this fact that following God's mission is going to cost us. Because entering into his mission is going to mean an end to our own mission. It means an end to our individual missions of seeking material wealth 
and prosperity and financial and personal security and our comfort and happiness above everything else in our lives. See, God calls us to leave those things behind when we enter into his mission. Now let me stop here and say just because we accept God's calling does not mean that he will not provide those things for us. God always provides for his people. He always provides for those he calls and those who are willing to accept the cost of his mission. But you see, what this does mean is that these pursuits, financial and personal security, those things take a back seat to the pursuit of God and his kingdom. That is telling those about Jesus who are hostile to him. That means reaching out to people who aren't like us and serving people and being a blessing to people who don't particularly want us to be a blessing to them and don't want to bless us in return. You see, this says that God called Abram to go to the land of Canaan. That was a place and a people of great wickedness and of great hostility. Why did God do that? So that God could use Abram to be a blessing to the whole world by telling others about who God is and God himself making a people all his own that would come from Abram and his family. God said to Abram, you are going to be a great nation. Your family is going to be a great nation. I am going to bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. To your offspring, Abram, I will give this land. But you see, that would only happen Abram was willing to accept the call and the cost of God's mission. If Abram would have said, sorry, Lord, I, I can't really go right now. You know, I appreciate this great promise you just told me you would give me. Um, but really, this is too dangerous. I mean, those Canaanites, we've seen them. They're really big and they're really mean. And, you know, me and my family, we're pretty small. And besides that, I'm 75 years old. You know, I'm too old to be rooting around the land of Canaan and to run all over the place. What I need, Lord, is to stay here where I'm comfortable and me and my family are kept safe. If that would have been Abram's response, God never would have blessed him such that he would have become known as the father of nations as we know him today. But the Bible tells us that Abram trusted God. The Bible says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Abram's story then shows us that you will never accomplish anything great without taking risks. You will never accomplish anything great in your life and for God without taking risks. See, if you're not willing to risk failure, if you're not willing to risk your comfort and having other people maybe think ill of you for God's sake, God will never use you to accomplish great things for him. You know, we only have think about it. We sang about this earlier. We only have some 60 or 70, if we're really blessed, maybe even 80 or 90 years so in this life, and that's it. James chapter 4 and verse 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, brothers and sisters, can you see that about yourself and about your life? In the big picture of things, our life is very short, and it's getting shorter by the day. God has given us our lives. He has given us our families, our talents, our money. He's given us everything we have to be used for his purposes. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 9, Jesus himself even goes as far as saying, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. 
so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Worldly wealth is not just limited to our money, but it's everything that God has blessed us with. Our time, our energy, our possessions, all of it. All of it has been given to us so that we might go out and risk ourselves and our security in order to be a blessing to others. Now can I ask you this morning, how are you doing in this area? How are you doing uh, embracing this cost that Jesus is calling you to in his mission? What kind of risks are you taking in your life today for the sake of Christ? What is it costing you to be a man or a woman in mission for the sake of the gospel? Is it costing you money for you to help meet this faith promise goal that the church is doing? And does it cost you your money to meet the giving goals of this church each year? Is it costing you your time by cutting into your mornings or your sleep or your weekends or even your vacation to volunteer in the nursery or with the kids' ministry or to help set up on Sunday mornings or to spend time with people who don't know Jesus or who simply need a friend? You're thinking about this and you're saying, well, it's not really costing me anything to follow Jesus. Well, then not only are you not following Jesus' direction. You are not like Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the earth, what did he do? He got out. He risked everything to serve people. He gave up his time. He gave up his comfort in order to go out and to serve those people. People who didn't ask for it. And often weren't even thankful for it. Yet Jesus went out to serve them anyway. Why? Matthew 20 and 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for me. Jesus says, The whole point of my life was to come and to give of myself so that others might live, so that you, brothers and sisters, might live and have life. And if you find yourself this morning, if you find yourself today not taking risk in your relationships, if you find that it's not really costing you anything, being a witness for Jesus, when you look again to him and when you look again to the cross and see what it costs for him to save you, you see, only when we see the generosity of God and what it costs for him to save us, then and only then we'll be able to be generous in accepting the cost of mission in our lives. And if we see God's greatness, if we see his glory as he's revealed in his only son, then we will be able to go out and to give generously of ourselves so that others might live. So this passage then shows us that yes, there is a call, but there is also a cost to mission, but it also shows us one more thing. This passage shows us that there is a challenge and that there will be challenges in the mission of God. Now what kind of Challenges are we talking about if we accept God's call and we face the cost of mission? Well, we just talked about some of the internal challenges we face, right? Embracing God's mission means getting out of our comfort zone and being willing to take risks, but it also means facing impossible circumstances and impossible obstacles. For example, do you realize the external obstacles that stood in the way of Abraham uh, receiving God's promises? What were they? Well, for starters, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. 
They had no children. They were well past childbearing years. Yet God says to them, it will be your offspring through which I will bless the nations. When Sarah was told this later on, Genesis chapter 18 and 12, do you remember what it says about her? It says she laughed. It says she laughed at such an outrageous notion. But the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely shall I bear a child since I'm so old? And the Lord says, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And we know indeed that Sarah did have a son, didn't she? Isaac, the child of promise. And it was even, all of this even ha happened after Abram had tried in his own wisdom and his own uh, conniving to fulfill God's promise himself. Remember that story? Remember how it turned out with Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the slave woman? Didn't turn out too well, did it? No, it caused all kinds of problems for Abram in his life for generations later on, in fact. Yet that, too, was a challenge that the Lord himself was up to. It was a challenge that the Lord himself overcame both for Abram and his family. You see, that wasn't the only challenge that Abram faced in trusting God and accepting the call and the cost of his mission. As I mentioned just a while ago, this says that Abram had to go to the land of the Canaanites, who were certainly not going to let Abram just come in and set up shop and take their land. As I said earlier, there were so many of them, and Abram and his people were so few. Furthermore, if you read on after this section, you see in verse 10 that there was a famine in the land. So Abram then went down to Egypt, where a whole new set of obstacles and challenges awaited him. You can read about those in verses 10 through 20. Now, in thinking about that, why does God allow challenges to come to people whom he calls and who are willing to accept the cost for his mission? Why does God allow us to struggle and to suffer so much when we are willing to go and to do what he calls us to do? Some people even think that sounds a little bit cruel. But my friends, that's actually not cruel at all. It's not cruel at all, you see, because it is God who alone will get the glory. That's why he does these things. Glory is rendered unto him alone, but also so that you and I may benefit. How? Well, who else can God, who else but God can do the impossible? Who else but God can take a small and such a few people, such a seemingly insignificant people, and turn them into something great? Only the Lord himself. You see, God allows us to face challenges and obstacles that are way beyond ourselves so that we might trust him so that we might see him do what only he can do in fulfilling this calling, and that is to redeem his people completely from beginning to end. Jonah tells us very clearly that salvation is of the Lord. We don't add anything to it. We simply receive it by grace. And you see, in all the circumstances in which Abram tried to circumvent all the circumstances that he tried to get around his challenges. In each one of those situations, the problem just got worse than it originally was. 
And how many times, brothers and sisters, have you and I done the very same thing? That rather than waiting on the Lord, rather than seeking the face of God in prayer whenever we face difficulty, rather than waiting patiently upon Him, taking our request to Him in prayer, we take matters into our own hands and we make things much, much worse by trying to save ourselves. You see, much like Abram, I think we've probably all done that more times than we can count and certainly that we're going to admit to. But you see, like Abram, incredibly, despite all of his failures, despite all of his sin and all of his attempts to save himself, God kept his promise to Abram and his children, not only to bless them and to make their name great, but to make them to be a blessing to the nation of which you and I are partakers today. How in the world could God do that? How in the world can God bring about something so incredible out of something that is so seemingly insignificant? Here's how he could do it. He could do it because even before the foundation of the world, God the Father, having foreordained all that would take place in creation, said, I've got a mission in this world that I'm creating. He said, I have a people who are going to rebel against me. And rather than giving them what they deserve for committing this crime against me, which is what the Bible calls sin, God said, I've set my love upon them. And I need someone to go and to rescue them from their sin and from the punishment they deserve. And God the Son said, Father, I will go. He said, Father, I will go. I will answer the call to mission and I will accept whatever cost may come with it and I will face whatever challenges may come in completing this mission that you have given me, Father, because of my love for you and your love for them. You see, the bad news is because we've all gone astray, going our own way in life, apart from God and his commands, we have sinned against God. And the first part of Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Physical death, yes, but also spiritual and eternal death, which means being separated from God and all that is good forever. And what makes matters even worse, as if it could get any worse, is that there's nothing that you and I can do in and of ourselves to overcome this problem. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. What we need is a substitute. We need a substitute, one who is without sin, who can live the life we ought to have lived, and to take the punishment that we owe God for sinning against him so that his divine justice can be satisfied. And the good news is, in God's love for us, the second part of Romans 6, 23 says what? It says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, God the Son himself, the second person of the eternal trinity, came into the world, he took on flesh, becoming a man, and he lived this perfect, spotless, sinless life before God for us. Then we're told that he went to the cross he went to a cross to have our sins poured out upon his head, and he was judged in our place for our iniquities. And we were told that he died for us so that we might be saved. 
But you see, the gospel also tells us that death could not hold him. The grave could not hold Jesus because on the third day after satisfying God's wrath and after paying the debt for all of our sins, for those who believe in him, on the third day he rose again from the dead triumphant by the power of God's Holy Spirit, never to die again. And it is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that He has sent forth to dwell in our hearts, to dwell in us, that we might know God as He is, that we might have everlasting life by placing our trust in Jesus alone to make us right with God and to give us a new life lived with and for and now and forevermore. You see, this is the good news that we call the gospel. And the gospel, according to Abram, is that Abram wasn't primarily given to us to be an example, a moral example for us to follow in answering the call to God's mission. Abram did many wrong things. Read the stories about him. Read his testimony. You see, the good news of Abram's life is that his descendant, Jesus Christ, has completed the mission of God for our salvation through his death and resurrection. Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abram so long ago. And now by faith in him and by his spirit dwelling within us, we can now go out to accomplish Jesus' mission in the world by being a blessing to the nations, by taking Christ and his word to others, both in ministry of word and deed. Ministry of word, of course, means telling other people this good news that we have received, telling them of who Jesus is and what he's done to save us. Deed ministry then is going out and to meet the physical needs that other people have, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, serving the poor, just as Jesus did in his mission here on the earth. Jesus says, here's what I've done for you, now you go out and do likewise. That means for us today then, practically speaking, means we've got to get to know our neighbors. It means we've got to get over this hump of just hitting the button and pulling into the garage and hitting the button again and not having to do anything with those people that live over there. It can be challenging, I know. The people that live next door to me, when they found out I was a pastor, it was like, cut it all off, right? Because somehow they think I'm not a sinner. They don't know me very well. <laughs> you see, it means we've got to get to know people like that. We have to take risks. It means that we're going to have to get to know our co-workers so that we can tell them the good news about Jesus. It means that we're going to have to serve those in our communities who are underserved. It means that we've got to support the ministries and missions of the church by generously giving our money and our time and our energy to serving in the church and to things like faith promise. You see, above all else, it means seeing that Jesus, seeing the blessing that he is for us so that we might go out and be a blessing. Jesus Christ has given everything for us so that we might go and give our all for his sake and for the sake of others. Let us then go to him in prayer and ask that he would fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we might go, go out into the world and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, this is a great task that you have set before us. Your mission is is incredible. It is far greater than us, and it's far greater than anything we can do in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in and of ourselves. Lord, what we need is you, and we need your Holy Spirit to empower us, to fill us, to teach us, to guide us, to give us love for our neighbor, 
by seeing the great love you have for us. Lord, would you remind us of that this week? Would you put us in situations? Would you put us in places, divine appointments, we call them, where we might get to know people that we don't know and these people that need to know you? Lord, would you make those conversations go well? Would you make them lead to friendships and relationships that lead to gospel proclamation, that lead to gospel transformation? Seeing you do what only you can do, calling people out of darkness and into the light. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We will accept the cost of your mission and the call and even face the challenges if, Lord, you are with us. Be with us and give us your grace in Christ's name. Amen.